0: This is Morning Edition from NHPR. I'm Rick Gamley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. We'll get into this week's top headlines. The House and Senate are revisiting the state's new limits on abortion. New data shows a dramatic spike in hospital worker absences. And some lawmakers are calling for changes to the vaccine registry. Joining me now to talk about all of that and more are NHPR's health and equity reporter, Ali Pham, and New Hampshire Bulletin's senior reporter, Anne-Marie Timmons. Good morning to you both. Morning, Rick. Good morning, Let's start with you, Emory. Uh, the House voted Tuesday to make some changes to the state's 24-week abortion ban. What will that change? Uh, what are the changes, and what remains in the original legislation?
1: The original bill um, does ban abortions after 24 weeks, except in the case of the mother's risk to mother's life. Does not have rape um, ex- exemptions, or for incest, or for a baby that is not going to live after birth. So this bill. HB 1609, would have added in those exceptions. It also was going to clarify when you have to have an ultrasound, um, at what point in uh, if you're seeking an abortion. There was confusion about whether that would be for all abortions or just for these in later in pregnancy. So what was interesting about this bill, it was a Republican-backed bill uh, not the not a democratic-backed bill, which is what we see for the other two that are up, and it it almost instantly failed. Uh, there was a lot of testimony on both sides, about three hours of testimony, and the committee, with really little discussion, said, "Let's take out all the exception parts, and we'll just use this bill to clarify that ultrasounds are only required." at later stages in pregnancy. And this bill had, you know, of support of Governor Sununu. He had written to the committee. Um, and again, it it was the bill from the Republicans. It, it hardly had a discussion. And I do think that's going to, that's a sign, I think, of where we're headed. I don't think we're going to see a big change in our abortion uh, b- ban this year.
0: Yeah, so what does that mean, anne What does this mean for Granite staters who might be seeking an abortion before or after 24 weeks?
1: Um, most women in New Hampshire do seek abortions before 24 weeks. It's rare to have an abortion after that period, according to the, the medical testimony we had. Most often it's in cases where there's a very late uh, discovery that a baby is not viable once uh, it is born. And so For those women, that is not an option. Here, we have heard that some women in that state have or would likely go out of state. So that's going to remain. um, And I I really don't think that's going to change. I think the bigger challenge for women seeking abortion is that the main providers who care for 80% of low-income or underinsured women have been defunded. So those services are in jeopardy because of funding right now.
0: Well, meanwhile, the Senate committee, as you as you said, is considering two other bills from, from Democrats that would reverse the ban altogether. I mean, are there any chances that that will go anywhere? What are the specifics of, of, of that particular argument?
1: Well, I guess anything's possible, but I, I'd be surprised one ban, one would repeal the ban, the other would enshrine in the Constitution a right to access abortion Given what we saw with the other bill we just discussed, it's hard to imagine either of those will go anywhere. And supporters of the ban will say, well, there's lots of support for abortion bans at 24 weeks. That's not untrue, but this ban has some exceptions, is lacking exceptions that are pretty severe um, compared to other states with later bans. And when New Hampshire has been polled on this, you see an increasing um, rejection or disapproval of this ban as people better understand that there are not exceptions for rape, incest, the mother's—you um, know—general health, not just life or a baby that is not viable.
0: Mm-hmm. This is Morning Edition from NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with NHPR's Ali Pham and New Hampshire Bulletin's Anne-Marie Timmons. By the way, you can let us know if you have some questions about the proposed changes to the state's abortion law. For our reporters, you can email us at voices at nhpr.org. Ali, I want to turn to you. The New Hampshire Hospital Association is now sharing daily reports with more details about the state's health care industry at this stage of the pandemic. What, what are some of your key takeaways from that new data?
2: Yeah. So I think what these reports do is they paint at least a, a slightly fuller picture of the burden that this virus is placing on the hospital system right now at kind of a statewide level and give us a better understanding, too, of where the state is getting their data since it it comes from the hospital association. And one number here that I've been really tracking and following is the number of COVID recovering patients that is is new in these reports. So official numbers that we're used to getting from the state only really include people with kind of active COVID cases in their overall count of COVID hospitalized patients. So that kind of leaves out those patients who, you know, are in there for weeks um, recovering and often, you know, require high levels of care or in some cases, are effectively kind of taking up bed space because hospitals actually can't even transfer them out because there might not be space for them to recover at a place like like a a nursing nursing home. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and these numbers are significant. So right now there's around 150 or so COVID recovering patients at hospitals across the state. And that comes on top of around 400 of those more quote unquote official hospitalizations. And we're also getting some new numbers on things like vaccination status, although that data is not perfect. Anne-Marie actually is going to get there in a little bit, kind of comes down to our our new vaccine registry, which, you know, isn't giving us uh perfect count of Yeah, the we're not sure of that data, data
0: precisely, although we are getting a somewhat better picture, as you said now. Right. Yeah. Uh, healthcare facilities, Ali, have been struggling with the shortage of workers. We hear about this week after week, and it seems to only be getting worse. According to the Hospital Association, nearly 1,000 hospital workers were absent because of COVID-19 last week. 1,000 people uh, in hospitals across the Granite State. How are hospitals coping with this?
2: Yeah. So as we know, Omicron is infecting vaccinated workers, too. And that's, you know, been hitting hospitals. And that uh, 1,000 workers is, is actually only around 3% of the, the workforce of the 25 hospitals that participated in that survey, which, yeah, 3% doesn't sound massive, but it is really significant when, one, those absences are unplanned, Two, they're on top of those pre-existing, already crippling staffing shortages. And three, on top of the fact that hospitals have a lot of patients right now. And I think as one hospital staffer put it to me, you know, imagine you have just one nurse unexpectedly calling out and that nurse takes care of five patients in her shift. That's five patients you're suddenly kind of scrambling to To care for, so it's meant that hospitals have been moving staff around into positions people may not normally work. In some cases, it means um, folks are working additional shifts to to cover for for their colleagues who are out.
0: It's just so there's a cascading effect, I'm mm-hmm. sure, as that that goes on. I, I know many healthcare workers have left the field, though they retired early during the pandemic. I know you've been talking with some young nurses who are just starting out in their careers. What's that been like for them to, to kind of join the field in the middle of this pandemic?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a a crazy time to start a, a career in, yeah. in healthcare. care. I mean, I went to Cheshire Medical Center in Keene last week and spoke to a few of their young nurses. And one young man I spoke to, you know, really stuck out to me, 24-year-old Noah Clay. He works in their ICU. One of the things he said to me was just, I don't think any new grad expects to see this, this much death. I mean, here he is.
0: We've really taken on the role of death and kind of being the facilitator with the family and hold their hands as the time comes. And it's kind of hard to just kind of keep going after that, but um, um, but it's tough.
2: Yeah. So so he's often the person who's kind of connecting a family with their. Basically, dying. Yeah, in the final one. hours. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. can you
0: can hear the stress and there's a weariness there.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know a lot of new healthcare staff in his generation are just kind of entering the workforce in this almost wartime environment, high volumes of patients, which can be stressful, staffing shortages. The virus itself has become political, so so it's a tough time.
0: Tough time for um, uh, health workers across the state and across the country in general. And, and Anne Marie, I, I know that you know as as Ali alluded to earlier. We've got some data here on vaccines. We're not sure about them. Several lawmakers are are pushing right now, too, for significant changes to the state's vaccine registry. What are these lawmakers' goals here?
1: Right. Our registry is brand new. We are the last state to have one. And the reason uh, public health teams really want that. Is it because it records your vaccination? So for your children, there's courses of of vaccinations. You wanna know where you're at. If you switch doctors, that would all be in one place. But it's also for tracking things like lot numbers of vaccine, which arm you get it in, um, where the vaccination rates are higher so that if there is another pandemic or a problem with a particular lot of vaccine, the public health department will sort of know right where to go. Um, so right now, our registry, like 48 other, 47 other registries, are opt out, which means you're assumed to be in it unless you decide after a conversation with your doctor that you want to be removed from the vaccine registry. This change would make it opt in, and right now that only happens in Texas in Montana. It's a higher uh, threshold to get over to get people to sign on to something that's new. And this registry is coming at maybe the worst time because vaccines at the moment are hitting just as the country is becoming angry at government, suspicious of them collecting information, not trusting their advice on science and health. And so there is this real resistance to having the government track anything on you. And I think there's some fear there that if they know who's not vaccinated, they will come to your door and vaccinate you, which is not true. Um, And what's interesting is the folks backing this effort to make it opt-in cite a constitutional amendment that passed a few years ago that just puts in writing that there's an inherent right to privacy in this state. Um, What's interesting is the author of that, co-author of that constitutional amendment is Neil Kirk, a former lawmaker who in the news business, we call him Mr. Privacy. I mean, there's not anyone that has fought for privacy of private information more than Neil Kirk. And he, when he was in the legislature, favored the opt out because he thought the balance there provided People concerned about privacy and option not to be included, but also balance the need for public health. I will say that his enthusiasm has waned a bit. He feels like the state makes it too hard to opt out. But I thought that was an interesting contrast. Right. Yeah. The balance.
0: Well, I, I I have to say we have to leave it at that. I do want to ask you before we go in just a, a few seconds here briefly, Emory. What else are you reporting on right now? What are you looking forward to next week?
1: I'm, uh, I've been interested in. There's lots more treatments available in terms of drugs for COVID. Problem is, those aren't readily available um, in New Hampshire or anywhere. So I'm looking at how uh, medical providers are balancing and triaging the dispensing of that medication.
0: We'll be watching for your reporting on that, Allie. How about you?
2: Yeah, fortunately, taking a little bit of time off next week. Good um, for you. Would be nice, but then um, <laughs> kind of going to be continuing to to follow the. the the burden this virus is placing on our on our hospital system, especially in the midst of, of Omicron continuing to spike.
0: It certainly doesn't seem like there's going to be any reprieve anytime soon.
2: No, Allie, I'll be waiting for you when you get back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunately
0: Absolutely. not going That's, anywhere in yeah. a week. <laughs> there's always plenty to report. And of course, you'll hear more about it next week on the Friday New Hampshire News Recap. I want to thank you both, Ali Pham, NHPR's health and equity reporter, also New Hampshire Bulletin's Anne-Marie Timmons. Thank you both so much. Great to be with you. It is Morning Edition from NHPR. I'm Rick Hanley.